0: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and it's great to be with you again and beginning a new classic story. This time, a great adventure novel, the second in Edgar Rice Burroughs' 24 books featuring the character Tarzan. Burroughs' classic adventures are shining examples of great adventure and fantasy writing, and the best thing is they appeal to all ages and levels of intellect. It's pure escape, and it's binge-worthy. The Return of Tarzan was first published in the pulp magazine, New Story Magazine, in the issues for June through December, 1913. The first book edition was published in 1915 by A.C. McClurg. You might remember that when we finished the first Tarzan novel, I promised that one day we would return to see if Tarzan would ever reunite with Jane. This novel picks up soon after where Tarzan of the Apes left off. Tarzan had purposely not informed Jane of his real royal heritage and right to a dukedom back in England, and he didn't tell her what his feelings were for her. As this story begins, Tarzan is feeling rootless in the wake of his noble sacrifice of his prospects of wedding Jane Porter. He leaves the USA for Europe to visit his friend Paul Darnot. On the ship he becomes embroiled in the affairs of Countess Olga de Coud, her husband, Count Raoul de and that of two shady characters attempting to prey on them, Nicholas Rokoff and his henchman, Alexis Polvich. Rokoff, it turns out, is also the Countess's brother. Tarzan thwarts the villain's scheme, making them his deadly enemies. And now, The Return of Tarzan by Edgar Rice Burroughs, Chapter 1 The Affair on the Liner Magnifique! ejaculated the Countess de Caud beneath her breath. "'Eh?' questioned the Count, turning toward his young wife. "'What is it that is magnificent?' And the Count bent his eyes in various directions in quest of the object of her admiration. "'Oh, nothing at all, my dear,' replied the Countess, a slight flush momentarily coloring her already pink cheek. "'I was but recalling with admiration those stupendous skyscrapers, as they call them, of New York.' And the fair countess settled herself more comfortably in her steamer chair, and resumed the magazine which, nothing at all, had caused her to let fall upon her lap. Her husband again buried himself in his book, but not without a mild wonderment that three days out from New York his countess should suddenly have realized an admiration for the very building she had but recently characterized as horrid. Presently the count put down his book. "'It is very tiresome, Olga,' he said." I think that I shall hunt up some others who may be equally bored and see if we cannot find enough for a game of cards. "'You are not very gallant, my husband,' replied the young woman, smiling. "'But as I am equally bored, I can forgive you. "'Go and play at your tiresome old cards, then, if you will.' When he had gone, she let her eyes wander slyly to the figure of a tall young man stretched lazily in a chair not far distant. "'Magnifique!' she breathed once more. The Countess Olga de Kowd was twenty, her husband forty. She was a very faithful and loyal wife, but as she had had nothing whatever to do with the selection of a husband, it is not at all unlikely that she was not wildly and passionately in love with the one that fate and her titled Russian father had selected for her. However, simply because she was surprised into a tiny exclamation of approval at sight of a splendid young stranger, it must not be inferred therefrom that her thoughts were in any way disloyal to her spouse. She merely admired, as she might have admired a particularly fine specimen of any species. Furthermore, the young man was unquestionably good to look at. As her furtive glance rested upon his profile, he rose to leave the deck. The Countess de Kowd beckoned to a passing steward. "'Who is that gentleman?' she asked. "'He is booked, madame, as Monsieur Tarzan of Africa,' replied the steward. "'Rather a large estate,' thought the girl." "'but now her interest was still further aroused. "'As Tarzan walked slowly toward the smoking room, "'he came unexpectedly upon two men "'whispering excitedly just without. "'He would have vouchsafed them not even a passing thought, "'but for the strangely guilty glance "'that one of them shot in his direction. "'They reminded Tarzan of melodramatic villains "'he had seen at the theaters in Paris. "'Both were very dark, "'and this in connection with the shrugs and stealthy glances "'that accompanied their palpable intriguing.' "'let still greater force to the similarity. "'Tarzan entered the smoking-room "'and sought a chair a little apart from the others who were there. "'He felt in no mood for conversation, "'and as he sipped his absinthe, "'he let his mind run rather sorrowfully "'over the past few weeks of his life. "'Time and again he'd wondered if he had acted wisely "'in renouncing his birthright to a man to whom he owed nothing. "'It is true that he liked Clayton, but, ah, uh, "'but that was not the question.' It was not for William Cecil Clayton, Lord Greystoke, that he had denied his birth. It was for the woman whom both he and Clayton had loved, and whom a strange freak of fate had given to Clayton instead of to him. That she loved him made the thing doubly difficult to bear. Yet he knew that he could have done nothing less than he did do that night within the little railway station in the far Wisconsin woods. To him, her happiness was the first consideration of all and his brief experience with civilization and civilized men, had taught him that without money and position, life to most of them was unendurable. Jane Porter had been born to both, and had Tarzan taken them away from her future husband, it would doubtless have plunged her into a life of misery and torture. That she would have spurned Clayton once he had been stripped of both his title and his estates never for once occurred to Tarzan, for he credited to others the same honest loyalty "'that was so inherent a quality in himself. "'Nor in this instance had he erred. "'Could any one thing have further bound to Jane Porter "'to her promise to Clayton, "'it would have been in the nature of some such misfortune "'as this overtaking him?' "'Tarzan's thoughts drifted from the past to the future. "'He tried to look forward with pleasurable sensations "'to his return to the jungle of his birth and boyhood, "'the cruel, fierce jungle in which he had spent twenty of his twenty-two years.' But who or what of all the myriad jungle life would be there to welcome his return? Not one. Only Tantor, the elephant, could he call friend. The others would hunt him or flee from him as had been their way in the past. Not even the apes of his own tribe would extend the hand of fellowship to him. If civilization had done nothing else for Tarzan of the apes, it had to some extent taught him to crave the society of his own kind— and to feel with genuine pleasure the congenial warmth of companionship. And in the same ratio it had made any other life distasteful to him. It was difficult to imagine a world without a friend, without a living thing who spoke the new tongues which Tarzan had learned to love so well. And so it was that Tarzan looked with little relish upon the future he had mapped out for himself. As he sat musing over his cigarette, his eyes fell upon a mirror before him, and in it he saw reflected a table at which four men sat at cards. Presently one of them rose to leave, and then another approached, and Tarzan could see that he courteously offered to fill the vacant chair, so that the game might not be interrupted. He was the smaller of the two whom Tarzan had seen whispering just outside the smoking room. It was this fact that aroused a faint spark of interest in Tarzan, and so as he speculated upon the future, he watched in the mirror the reflection of the players at the table behind him. Aside from the man who had but just entered the game, Tarzan knew the name of but one of the other players. It was he who sat opposite the new player, Count Raoul de coud whom an over-attentive steward had pointed out as one of the celebrities of the passage, describing him as a man high in the official family of the French Minister of War. Suddenly Tarzan's attention was riveted upon the picture in the glass. The other swarthy plotter had entered, and was standing behind the Count's chair. "'Tarzan saw him turn and glance furtively about the room, "'but his eyes did not rest for a sufficient time upon the mirror "'to note the reflection of Tarzan's watchful eyes. "'Stealthily the man withdrew something from his pocket. "'Tarzan could not discern what the object was, "'for the man's hand covered it. "'Slowly the hand approached the Count, "'and then, very deftly, "'the thing that was in it was transferred to the Count's pocket. "'The man remained standing where he could watch the Frenchman's cards. "'Tarzan was puzzled.' BUT HE WAS ALL ATTENTION NOW, NOR DID HE PERMIT ANOTHER DETAIL OF THE INCIDENT TO ESCAPE HIM. THE PLAY WENT ON FOR SOME TEN MINUTES AFTER THIS, UNTIL THE COUNT WON A CONSIDERABLE WAGER FROM HIM WHO HAD LAST JOINED THE GAME, AND THEN TARZAN SAW THE FELLOW BACK OF THE COUNT'S CHAIR NOD HIS HEAD TO HIS CONFEDERATE. INSTANTLY THE PLAYER AROSE AND POINTED A FINGER AT THE COUNT. HAD I KNOWN THAT Monsieur WAS A PROFESSIONAL CARD SHARP I HAD NOT BEEN SO READY TO BE DRAWN INTO THE GAME, HE SAID. Instantly, the Count and two other players were upon their feet. The Count's face went white. What do you mean, sir? he cried. Do you know to whom you speak? I know that I speak, for the last time, to one who cheats at cards, replied the fellow. The Count leaned across the table and struck the man full in the mouth with his open palm, and then the others closed in between them. There is some mistake, sir, cried one of the other players. Why, this is Count de Coud of France. If I'm mistaken, said the accuser, I shall gladly apologize. But before I do so, first let Monsieur de Count explain the extra cards which I saw him drop into his side pocket. And then the man whom Tarzan had seen drop them there turned to sneak from the room, but to his annoyance he found the exit barred by a tall, grey eyed stranger. Pardon, said the man brusquely, attempting to pass to one side. "'Wait!' said Tarzan. "'But why, monsieur?' exclaimed the other, petulantly. "'Permit me to pass.' "'Wait!' said Tarzan. "'I think that there is a matter in here "'that you may doubtless be able to explain.' The fellow had lost his temper by this time, and with a low oath seized Tarzan to push him to one side. Tarzan smiled as he twisted the big fellow about, and grasping him by the collar of his coat, escorted him back to the table, struggling, cursing, and striking in futile remonstrance. It was Nicholas Rokoff's first experience with the muscles that had brought their savage owner victorious through encounters with Nuna, the lion, and Turkoz the great bull ape. The man who had accused the and two others who had been playing, stood looking expectantly at the count. Several other passengers had drawn toward the scene of the altercation, and all awaited the denouement. The fellow's crazy, said the count. Gentlemen, I implore that one of you search me. THE ACCUSATION IS RIDICULOUS. THIS FROM ONE OF THE PLAYERS. YOU HAVE BUT TO SLIP YOUR HAND IN THE COUNT'S COAT POCKET, AND YOU'LL SEE THAT THE ACCUSATION IS QUITE SERIOUS, INSISTED THE ACCUSER. AND THEN, AS THE OTHER STILL HESITATED TO DO SO, COME, I SHALL DO IT MYSELF, IF NO OTHER WILL. AND HE STEPPED FORWARD TOWARD THE COUNT. NO, Monsieur," SAID Decoud, I WILL SUBMIT TO A SEARCH ONLY AT THE HANDS OF A GENTLEMAN. IT IS UNNECESSARY TO SEARCH THE COUNT, SAID TARZAN. The cards are in his pocket. I myself saw them placed there. All turned in surprise toward this new speaker to behold a very well-built young man urging a resisting captive toward them by the scruff of his neck. It is a conspiracy, said Decoud angrily. There are no cards in my coat. And with that he ran his hand into his pocket. And as he did so, tense silence reigned in the little group. The count went dead white, and then very slowly he withdrew his hand, and in it were three cards. He looked at them in mute and horrified surprise, and slowly the red of mortification suffused his face. Expressions of pity and contempt tinged the features who looked on at the death of the man's honor. It is a conspiracy, monsieur. It was the gray-eyed stranger, Tarzan, who spoke. Gentlemen, he continued, Monsieur LeCount did not know that these cards were in his pocket. They were placed there without his knowledge as he sat at play. "'From where I sat in that chair yonder, "'I saw the reflection of it all in the mirror before me. "'This person whom I just intercepted in an effort to escape "'placed the cards in the Count's pocket.' "'Dakowd had glanced from Tarzan to the man in his grasp. "'Mon Dieu, Nicholas!' he cried. "'You?' "'Then he turned to his accuser, "'and eyed him intently for a moment. "'And you, monsieur, "'I did not recognize you without your beard. "'It quite disguises you, Paulvitch.' I see it all now. It's quite clear, gentlemen. What shall we do with them, monsieur? asked Tarzan. Turn them over to the captain? No, my friend, said the count hastily. It is a personal matter, and I beg that you will let it drop. It is sufficient that I have been exonerated from the charge. The less we have to do with such fellows, the better. But, monsieur, how can I thank you for the great kindness you have done me? Permit me to offer you my card and should the time come when I may serve you, remember that I am yours to command. Tarzan had released Rokoff, who, with his confederate, Polvich, had hastened from the smoking-room. Just as he was leaving, Rokoff turned to Tarzan. Monsieur will have ample opportunity to regret his interference in the affairs of others. Tarzan smiled, and then, bowing to the count, handed him his own card. The count read, M. Jean C. Tarzan, "'Monsieur Tarzan,' he said, "'may indeed wish that he had never befriended me, "'for I can assure him that he has won the enmity "'of two of the most unmitigated scoundrels in all of Europe. "'Avoid them, monsieur, by all means.' "'I have had more awe-inspiring enemies, my dear Count,' "'replied Tarzan with a quiet smile. "'Yet I am still alive and unworried. "'I think that neither of these two will ever find the means to harm me.' "'Let us hope not, monsieur.' said Dekowd, but yet it will do no harm to be on the alert, and to know that you have made at least one enemy today who never forgets and never forgives, and in whose malignant brain there are always hatching new atrocities to perpetrate upon those who have thwarted or offended him. To say that Nicholas Rokoff is a devil would be to place a wanton affront upon his satanic majesty. That night, as Tarzan entered his cabin, he found a folded note upon the floor that had evidently been pushed beneath the door. He opened it, and it read, M. Tarzan. Doubtless you did not realize the gravity of your offense, or you would not have done the thing you did today. I am willing to believe that you acted in ignorance and without any intention to offend a stranger. For this reason I shall gladly permit you to offer an apology, and on receiving your assurances that you will not again interfere in affairs that do not concern you, I shall drop the matter. Otherwise, but I am sure that you will see the wisdom of adopting the course I suggest, very respectfully, Nicholas Rokoff. Tarzan permitted a grim smile to play about his lips for a moment, then he promptly dropped the matter from his mind and went to bed. In a nearby cabin, the Countess de Coud was speaking to her husband. "'Why so grave, my dear Raoul?' she asked. "'You have been as glum as could be all evening. What worries you?' "'Olga. Nicholas is on board. Did you know it?' "'Nicholas!' she exclaimed. "'But it is impossible, Raoul. It cannot be. Nicholas is under arrest in Germany.' "'So I thought myself until I saw him today, him and that other arch-scoundrel, Polvich. "'Olga, I cannot endure his persecution much longer. No, not even for you. Sooner or later I shall turn him over to the authorities. In fact, I am half-minded to explain all to the captain before we land.' On a French liner, it were an easy matter, Olga, permanently to settle this nemesis of ours. "'Oh, no, Raoul!' cried the Countess, sinking to her knees before him as he sat with bowed head upon a divan. "'Do not do that. Remember your promise to me. Tell me, Raoul, that you will not do that. Do not even threaten him, Raoul.' Jekal took his wife's hands in his and gazed upon her pale and troubled countenance for some time before he spoke as though he would wrest from those beautiful eyes the real reason which prompted her to shield this man. "'Let it be as you wish, Olga,' he said at length. "'I cannot understand. He has forfeited all claim upon your love, loyalty, or respect. He is a menace to your life and honor, and the life and honor of your husband. I trust you may never regret championing him.' "'I do not champion him, Raoul,' she interrupted vehemently. "'I believe that I hate him as much as you do.' "'But, oh, Raoul, blood is thicker than water.' "'I should today have liked to sample the consistency of his,' growled Decoud grimly. "'The two deliberately attempted to besmirch my honor, Olga. "'And then he told her of all that had happened in the smoking-room. "'Had it not been for this utter stranger, they would have succeeded. "'For who would have accepted my unsupported word "'against the damning evidence of those cards hidden on my person? "'I had almost begun to doubt myself,' when this Monsieur Tarzan dragged your precious Nicholas before us and explained the whole cowardly transaction. Monsieur Tarzan? asked the Countess, in evident surprise. Yes. Do you know him, Olga? I have seen him. A steward pointed him out to me. I did not know that he was a celebrity, said the Count. Olga de Kowd changed the subject. She discovered suddenly that she might find it difficult to explain just why the steward had pointed out the handsome monsieur Tarzan, to her. Perhaps she flushed the least little bit, for was not the count, her husband, gazing at her with a strangely quizzical expression? Ah, she thought, a guilty conscience is a most suspicious thing. We'll return to chapter two, right after this sponsor message. And now, Chapter Two, Forging Bonds of Hate and Much More. It was not until late the following afternoon that Tarzan saw anything more of the fellow passengers into the midst of whose affairs his love of fair play had thrust him. And then he came most unexpectedly upon Rokoff and Polovich at a moment when of all others the two might least appreciate his company. They were standing on deck at a point which was temporarily deserted and as Tarzan came upon them, they were in heated argument with a woman. Tarzan noted that she was richly appareled, and that her slender, well modeled figure denoted youth. But as she was heavily veiled, he could not discern her features. The men were standing on either side of her, and the backs of all were toward Tarzan, so that he was quite close to them without their being aware of his presence. He noticed that Rokoff seemed to be threatening, the woman pleading, but they spoke in a strange tongue and he could only guess from appearances that the girl was afraid. Rokoff's attitude was so distinctly filled with the threat of physical violence that Tarzan paused for an instant just behind the trio, instinctively sensing an atmosphere of danger. Scarcely had he hesitated ere the man seized the woman roughly by the wrist, twisting it as though to wring a promise from her through torture. What would have happened next had Rokoff had his way, we may only conjecture, since he did not have his way at all. Instead, Steel fingers gripped his shoulder, and he was swung unceremoniously around to meet the cold gray eyes of the stranger who had thwarted him on the previous day. "'Sapristi!' screamed the infuriated Rokov. "'What do you mean? Are you a fool that you thus again insult Nicholas Rokov?' "'This is my answer to your note, monsieur,' said Tarzan, in a low voice. And then he hurled the fellow from him with such force that Rokov lunged sprawling against the rail." "'Name of a name!' shrieked Rokoff. "'Pig! But you shall die for this!' And springing to his feet, he rushed upon Tarzan, tugging the meanwhile to draw a revolver from his hip pocket. The girl shrank back in terror. "'Nicholas!' she cried. "'Do not! Oh, do not do that! Quick, monsieur, fly, or he will surely kill you!' But instead of flying, Tarzan advanced to meet the fellow. "'Do not make a fool of yourself, monsieur,' he said." Rokoff, who was in a perfect frenzy of rage at the humiliation the stranger had just put upon him, had at last succeeded in drawing the revolver. He had stopped, and now he deliberately raised it to Tarzan's breast and pulled the trigger. The hammer fell with a futile click on an empty chamber. Tarzan's hand shot out like the head of an angry python. There was a quick wrench, and the revolver sailed far out across the ship's rail and dropped into the Atlantic. For a moment, the two men stood there facing one another. Rokoff had regained his self-possession. He was the first to speak. Twice now has Monsieur seen fit to interfere in matters which do not concern him. Twice he has taken it upon himself to humiliate Nicholas Rokoff. The first offense was overlooked on the assumption that Monsieur acted to ignorance. But this affair shall not be overlooked. If Monsieur does not know who Nicholas Rokoff is, this last piece of effrontery will ensure that Monsieur later has good reason to remember him. "'That you are a coward and a scoundrel, monsieur,' replied Tarzan, "'is all that I care to know of you.' And he turned to ask the girl if the man had hurt her, but she had disappeared. Then, without even a glance toward Rokoff and his companion, Tarzan continued his stroll along the deck. Tarzan could not but wonder what manner of conspiracy was on foot, or what the scheme of the two men might be. There had been something rather familiar about the appearance of the veiled woman to whose rescue he had just come, but as he had not seen her face, he could not be sure that he had ever seen her face before. The only thing about her that he had, the only thing about her that he had particularly noticed was a ring of peculiar workmanship upon a finger of the hand that Rokoff had seized, and he determined to note the fingers of the women passengers he came upon thereafter, that he might discover the identity of her whom Rokoff was persecuting and learn if the fellow had offered her further annoyance. Tarzan had sought his deck chair, where he sat speculating on the numerous instances of human cruelty. "'selfishness and spite that had fallen to his lot to witness "'since that day in the jungle four years since that day "'his eyes had first fallen upon a human being other than himself, "'the sleek, black Kulanga, whose swift spear had that day "'found the vitals of Kala, the great she-ape, "'and robbed the youth, Tarzan, of the only mother he had ever known. "'He recalled the murder of King by the rat-faced Snipes, "'the abandonment of Professor Porter and his party "'by the mutineers of the Arrow,' "'the cruelty of the black warriors and women of Mbanga "'to their captives, "'the petty jealousies of the civil and military officers "'of the West Coast colony "'that had afforded him his first introduction "'to the civilized world. "'Mon Dieu!' he soliloquized. "'But they are all alike, "'cheating, murdering, lying, fighting, "'and all for things that the beasts of the jungle "'would not deign to possess, "'money to purchase the effeminate pleasures of weaklings.' "'and yet withal bound down by silly customs "'that make them slaves to their unhappy lot, "'while firm in the belief that they be the lords of creation, "'enjoying the only real pleasures of existence. "'In the jungle one would scarcely stand supinely aside "'while another took his mate. "'It is a silly world, an idiotic world, "'and Tarzan of the apes was a fool to renounce the freedom "'and the happiness of his jungle to come into it. "'Presently, as he sat there, The sudden feeling came over him that eyes were watching from behind, and the old instinct of the wild beast broke through the thin veneer of civilization, so that Tarzan wheeled about so quickly that the eyes of the young woman who had been surreptitiously regarding him had not even time to drop before the gray eyes of the ape-man shot an inquiring look straight into them. Then as they fell, Tarzan saw a faint wave of crimson creep swiftly over the now half-averted face. He smiled to himself at the result of his very uncivilized and ungallant action, for he had not lowered his own eyes when they met those of the young woman. She was very young, and equally good to look upon. Further, there was something rather familiar about her that set Tarzan to wondering where he had seen her before. He resumed his former position, and presently he was aware that she had arisen and was leaving the deck. As she passed, Tarzan turned to watch her in the hope that he might discover a clue to satisfy his mild curiosity as to her identity. Nor was he disappointed entirely, for as she walked away she raised one hand to the black, waving mass at the nape of her neck, the peculiarly feminine gesture that admits cognizance of appraising eyes behind her. And Tarzan saw upon a finger of this hand the ring of strange workmanship that he had seen upon the finger of the veiled woman just a short time before. So it was this beautiful young woman Rokoff had been persecuting, "'Tarzan wondered in a lazy sort of way "'whom she might be, "'and what reflections one so lovely could have "'with the surly, bearded Russian. "'After dinner that evening, "'Tarzan strolled forward, "'where he remained until after dark, "'in conversation with the second officer, "'and when that gentleman's duties called him elsewhere, "'Tarzan lolled lazily by the rail, "'watching the play of the moonlight "'upon the gently rolling waters. "'He was half hidden by a davit, "'so that two men who approached along the deck "'did not see him, and as they passed, Tarzan caught enough of their conversation to cause him to fall in behind them, to follow and learn what deviltry they were up to now. He had recognized the voice as that of Brokoff, and had seen that his companion was Polvich. Tarzan had overheard but a few words. And if she screams, you may choke her until But those had been enough to arouse the spirit of adventure within him, and so he kept the two men in sight as they walked, briskly now, along the deck. To the smoking room he followed them but they merely halted at the doorway long enough, apparently, to assure themselves that one whose whereabouts they wished to establish was within. Then they proceeded directly to the first-class cabins upon the promenade deck. Here Tarzan found greater difficulty in escaping detection, but he managed to do so successfully. As they halted before one of the polished hardwood doors, Tarzan slipped into the shadow of a passageway not a dozen feet away from them. To their knock, a woman's voice asked in French, Who is it? "'It is I, Olga, Nicholas,' was the answer, in Rokoff's now familiar guttural. "'May I come in?' "'Why do you not cease persecuting me, Nicholas?' came the voice of the woman from beyond the thin panel. "'I've never harmed you.' "'Come, come, Olga,' urged the man in propitiary tones. "'I but ask a half a dozen words with you. I shall not harm you, nor shall I enter your cabin, but I cannot shout my message through the door.' Tarzan heard the catch click as it was released from the inside. He stepped out from his hiding place far enough to see what transpired when the door was opened, for he could not but recall the sinister words he had heard a few moments before on the deck, "And if she screams, you may choke her." Rokoff was standing directly in front of the door. Polovich had flattened himself against the paneled wall of the corridor beyond. The door opened. Rokoff half entered the room and stood with his back against the door, speaking in a low whisper to the woman, "'whom Tarzan could not see. "'Then Tarzan heard the woman's voice, "'level, but loud enough "'to distinguish her words. "'No, Nicholas,' she was saying. "'It is useless. "'Threaten as you will. "'I shall never to your demands. "'Leave the room, please. "'You have no right here. "'You promised not to enter. "'Very well, Olga. "'I shall not enter. "'But before I am done with you, "'you shall wish a thousand times "'that you had done at once "'the favor I have asked. "'In the end,' "'I shall win anyway. "'So? "'So you might as well save trouble in time for me, "'and disgrace for yourself "'and your—' "'Never, Nicholas,' "'interrupted the woman, "'and then Tarzan saw Rokoff "'turn and nod to Polvich, "'who sprang quickly "'toward the doorway of the cabin, "'rushing in past Rokoff, "'who held the door open for him. "'Then the latter "'stepped quickly out. "'The door closed. "'Tarzan heard the click "'of the lock "'as Polvich turned it "'from the inside. "'Rokoff remained standing "'before the door,' with head bent, as though to catch the words of the two within. A nasty smile curled his bearded lip. Tarzan could hear the woman's voice commanding the fellow to leave her cabin. "'I shall send for my husband,' she cried. "'He will show you no mercy.' Povich's sneering laugh came through the polished panels. "'The purser will fetch your husband, madame,' said the man. In fact, that officer has already been notified that you are entertaining a man other than your husband behind the locked door of your cabin.' "'Bah!' cried the woman. "'My husband will know.' "'Most assuredly your husband will know, but the purser will not, nor will the newspaper-men who who shall in some mysterious way hear of it on their landing. But they will think it's a fine story, and so will all your friends when they read of it at breakfast on—let me see—this is Tuesday—yes, when they read of it at breakfast next Friday morning.' nor will it detract from the interest they will all feel when they learn that the man whom Madame entertained is a Russian servant, her brother's valet, to be quite exact. "'Alexis Povich,' came the woman's voice, cold and fearless, "'you are a coward, and when I whisper a certain name in your ear, you will think better of your demands upon me and your threats against me, and then you will leave my cabin quickly, nor do I think that ever again will you at least annoy me.' and there came a moment's silence in which Tarzan could imagine the woman leaning toward the scoundrel and whispering the things she had hinted at into his ear. Only a moment of silence, and then a startled oath from the man, the scuffling of feet, a woman's scream, and silence. But scarcely had the cry ceased before Tarzan had leaped from his hiding place. Rokoff started to run, but Tarzan grasped him by the collar and dragged him back. Neither spoke, for both felt instinctively that murder was being done in that room and Tarzan was confident that Rokoff had had no intention that his confederate should go that far. He felt that the man's aims were deeper than that, deeper and even more sinister than brutal, cold-blooded murder. Without hesitating to question those within, the ape-man threw his giant shoulder against the frail panel, and then a shower of splintered wood he entered the cabin, dragging Rokoff after him. Before him, on a couch, the woman lay, and on top of her was Polvich, his fingers grasping the fair throat, while his victim's hands beat futilely at his face, tearing desperately at the cruel fingers that were forcing the life from her. The noise of his entrance brought Pulvich to his feet, where he stood glowering menacingly at Tarzan. The girl rose falteringly to a sitting posture upon the couch. One hand was at her throat, and her breath came in little gasps. Although disheveled and very pale, Tarzan recognized her as the young woman whom he had caught staring at him on deck earlier in the day. "'What is the meaning of this?' said Tarzan, turning to Rokoff, whom he intuitively singled out as the the instigator of the outrage. The man remained silent, scowling. "'Touch the button, please,' continued Tarzan. "'We will have one of the ship's officers here. This affair has gone quite far enough.' "'No, no!' cried the girl, coming suddenly to her feet. "'Please do not do that. I am sure there was no real intention to harm me. I angered this person, and he lost control of himself, that's all.' "'I wouldn't care to have the matter go further. "'Please, monsieur.' "'And there was such a note of pleading in her voice "'that Tarzan could not press the matter, "'though his better judgment warned him "'that there was something afoot here "'of which the proper authorities should be made cognizant. "'You wish me to do nothing, then, in this matter?' "'He asked. "'Nothing, please,' she replied. "'You are content that these two scoundrels "'should continue persecuting you?' "'She did not seem to know what answer to make.' and looked very troubled and unhappy. Tarzan saw a malicious grin of triumph curl Rokoff's lip. The girl evidently was in fear of these two, and she dared not express her real desires before them. Then, said Tarzan, I shall act on my own responsibility. To you, he continued, turning to Rokoff, and this includes your accomplice, I may say that from now on to the end of the voyage I shall take it upon myself to keep an eye on you, and should there chance to come to my notice, any act of either one of you that might even remotely annoy this young woman, you shall be called to account for it directly to me. Nor shall the calling or the accounting be a pleasant experience for either of you. Now get out of here! And he grabbed Rokoff and Polvich each by the scruff of the neck and thrust them forcibly through the doorway, giving each an added impetus down the corridor with the toe of his boot. Then he turned back to the stateroom and the girl. She was looking at him in wide-eyed astonishment. "'And you, madame, will confer a great favor upon me "'if you will but let me know "'if either of these rascals troubles you any further.' "'Ah, monsieur,' she answered, "'I hope that you will not suffer for the kind deed you attempted. "'You have made a very wicked and resourceful enemy "'who will stop at nothing to satisfy his hatred. "'You must be very careful indeed, monsieur.' "'Pardon me, madame. "'My name is Tarzan.' "'Monsieur Tarzan, "'and because I would not consent to notify the officers,' "'Do not think that I am not sincerely grateful to you "'for the brave and chivalrous protection you rendered me. "'Good night, Monsieur Tarzan. "'I shall never forget the debt I owe you.' "'And with the most winsome smile that displayed a row of perfect teeth, "'the girl curtsied to Tarzan, who bade her good night "'and made his way back on deck. "'It puzzled the man considerably that there should be two on board, "'this girl and Count Dekaud, "'who suffered indignities at the hands of Rokoff and his companion.' and yet would not permit the offenders to be brought to justice. Before he turned in that night, his thoughts reverted many times to the beautiful young women in the evidently tangled web of whose life had so strangely introduced him. It occurred to him that he had not learned her name. That she was married had been evidenced by the narrow gold band that encircled the third finger of her left hand. Involuntarily he wondered who the lucky man might be. Tarzan saw nothing further of any of the actors in the little drama that he had caught a fleeting glimpse of, "'until late in the afternoon of the last day of the voyage. "'Then he came suddenly face to face with the young woman "'as the two approached their deck-chairs from opposite directions. "'She greeted him with a pleasant smile, "'speaking almost immediately of the affair he had witnessed in her cabin two nights before. "'It was as though she had been perturbed by a conviction "'that he might have construed her acquaintance with such men as Rokoff and Pulvich "'as a personal reflection upon herself. "'I trust monsieur has not judged me,' she said. "'by the unfortunate occurrence of Tuesday evening. "'I have suffered much on account of it. "'This is the first time that I have ventured from my cabin since. "'I have been ashamed,' she concluded simply. "'One does not judge the gazelle by the lions that attack it,' replied Tarzan. "'I have seen those two work before, "'in the smoking-room the day prior to their attack on you, "'if I recollect it correctly. "'And so, knowing their methods, "'I am convinced that their enmity is a sufficient guarantee "'of the integrity of its object.' "'Men such as they must cleave only to the vile, "'hating all that is noblest and best.' "'It is very kind of you to put it that way,' she replied, smiling. "'I have already heard of the matter of the card game. "'My husband told me the entire story. "'He spoke especially of the strength and bravery of Monsieur Tarzan, "'to whom he feels that he owes an immense debt of gratitude.' "'Your husband,' repeated Tarzan, questioningly. "'Yes, I am the Countess de Coude. "'I am already amply repaid, madame.' in knowing that I have rendered a service to the wife of the Count de Caud. Alas, monsieur, I already am so greatly indebted to you that I may never hope to settle my own account, so pray do not add further to my obligations. And she smiled so sweetly upon him that Tarzan felt that a man might easily attempt much greater things than he had accomplished, solely for the pleasure of receiving the benediction of that smile. He did not see her again that day, and in the rush of landing on the following morning he missed her entirely, "'but there had been something in the expression of her eyes "'as they parted on deck the previous day that haunted him. "'It had been almost wistful as they had spoken of the strangeness "'of the swift friendships of an ocean crossing, "'and of the equal ease with which they are broken forever. Tarzan wondered if he should ever see her again. "'Thanks for joining us for the beginning chapters "'of The Return of Tarzan. "'Next week, chapter three and four. "'If you enjoy 1001 Stories for the Road,' Please take a moment to send us a review, Apple Listers. We would appreciate that very much. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Everyone, stay safe, and we'll return next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time with a brand new installment.